Well, I wonder if the future, if Lydia will have opportunity to play with David. It's a distinct possibility there. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 10c. Hebrews 5, 10c. Melchizedek. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 20, C. Melchizedek. Today's the day. I've been telling you for weeks now that Hebrews 5, 11 through 20 is an interlude of exhortation and explanation in between these two references to the Old Testament king priest, Melchizedek, having preached our way through the opening of that interlude in chapter 5, which addresses dull hearing, and before we pick up in the interlude, chapter 6, I thought it'd be the best time to take occasion to remind ourselves of the Old Testament storyline concerning Melchizedek. So please join me in Genesis chapter 14 this morning. Genesis chapter 14, I'll begin reading in verse 16. And he, Abram, brought back all the goods and also brought again his brother Lot and his goods and the women also and the people. And the king of Sodom went out to meet Abram after his return from the slaughter of Kedor Laomer, and of the kings that were with him at the valley of Shaveh, which is the king's dale, or king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God, the priest of El Elyon. And he blessed him, he, Melchizedek, blessed him, Abram, and said, Blessed be Abram, of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. And he, Abram, gave him, Melchizedek, tithes of all. And the king of Sodom said unto Abram, Give me the persons and take the goods to yourself. And Abraham, or Abram, said to the king of Sodom, I have lift up mine eye, mine hand unto the Lord, the most high God, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take from a thread even to a shoe latchet, and that I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou shouldest say, I have made Abram rent. Save only that which the young men have eaten, and the portion of the men which were went with me, Anner, Eschol, Mamre, let them take their portion. Father, this morning we return to the storyline of the Old Testament that we might have greater New Testament insight to the supremacy of Jesus Christ as our high priest in the continuation of the study of our, our commitment to Hebrews. We pray that today you would help us to 
understand the unique relationship of Old Testament patriarch Abraham and this king priest named Melchizedek. Thank you for the occasion. We ask your blessing upon us. We thank you for the opportunity in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen. It strikes me this morning that in this encounter between Abram and Melchizedek, two of the world's greatest men ever met together and were both the greater for it. Abram was greater because of Melchizedek. Melchizedek was greater because of Abram. But you have in the record of Genesis 14 a unique coming together of two of the world's greatest men all time. Abraham is referenced in scripture over 300 times and is known to be the man of God's promise and a man of exemplary faith. Melchizedek is referenced in scripture just over 10 times and is by and large unknown. Melchizedek is referenced here by Moses in Genesis chapter 14. And then if you were to look at it chronologically, about 1,000 years later, Melchizedek was mentioned again by David in Psalm 110. And then he is referenced about another 1,000 years later in chronology of time in the book of Hebrews. So you have two of the world's greatest men, the one that is talked about and 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 talked about. His name is Abram, and you know he becomes Abraham, the father of nations. And then you have Melchizedek, who's talked about. Genesis 14, a thousand years later, Psalm 110, approximately a thousand years later, Hebrews chapter 5, 6, 7, and ongoing from that point. Total, Melchizedek mentioned only 10 times, and by and large, unknown as a figure in Scripture. We all know that Abraham was a great man in the plan of God, but Hebrews 7 will say, when we get to it, that Melchizedek was, in his day, indeed greater than Abraham. It's the meeting of two great men. We already have good evidence and understanding as to why Abraham would be called great for his faith, great as a patriarch, great as the man of God's promise. But Hebrews will help us in coming weeks to understand why it is that Melchizedek, in fact, is greater as a foreshadowing, as it were, of the great one, the greatest one our Lord Jesus Christ. So Genesis 14 records the meeting of two great men of God. The unique man of promise met the unique man of prophecy. God's designated patriarch met God's designated priest. Now there are all sorts of fascinating things to be said about Melchizedek. But here are five to put away in your memory bank for our purposes this morning as we lay a foundation for study in Hebrews upcoming. Number one, Melchizedek is the named king of Salem 
long before there were, were any Jewish kings in Jerusalem. Number two, Melchizedek is a named priest long before the establishment of the Aaronic priesthood under the law given at Sinai to Moses. So Genesis 14 is actually the first place in the Bible where any person is actually called a priest of God, a priest of Yahweh. So you have a king before there were kings. You have a priest before there were priests. So part of the uniqueness of Melchizedek is to wrap your mind around the fact that long before the period of time in which Israel had kings, here is the king of Salem or a king of Jerusalem, and long before Israel had a priesthood, here is a man that is a, as designated as uh, the priest of El Elyon, the most high God. When you add capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D to the mix, in the reading of the text, you have Yahweh, El Elyon. Here is the king priest of El uh, Elyon, Yahweh El Elyon. Again, king before there were kings, priest before there were priests. That is a significant thing. Now, the age or the time period in which Abram and Melchizedek lived was indeed a period of time in which unrighteousness and ungodliness uh, absolutely filled the earth. It was a period of phenomenal unrighteousness. It was a period of phenomenal ungodliness. And yet, Melchizedek is called the king of righteousness. And as you know, Abraham's faith was accounted him for uh, righteousness. So in the time period in which uh, the world is just absolutely ungodly, absolutely unrighteous. Here are two great men, one that is called the king of righteousness and the other one uh, that has faith that is accounted unto him as righteousness. And so the whole idea of righteousness is associated with Melchizedek. Righteousness is associated with Abraham. These two great men are men that have connection to righteousness and they have connection to righteousness in a time when they're surrounded by unrighteousness. Number four, the period of time in which Abram and Melchizedek lived uh, and the place of their meeting was at a time and in a territory of perpetual war. Uh, it's uh, rather ironic that Melchizedek is introduced to us as uh, the king of Salem or the king of peace. That's what Salem means. Jerusalem, peace, the king of peace. And Abram comes to him having won a great victory and celebrating that victory, and making, as it were, for peace. And so both men are associated with righteousness, and both men are associated in some way with peace. And yet, in the context of chapter 5, uh, I'm sorry, in the context of Genesis uh, chapter 14, five other, there's where the five comes in, five other kings are named in Genesis 14, all of which are regional kings of war. So Genesis 14 is about the four, or the five rather, regional kings at war. And then you have this episode involving Abram. And then you have this encounter between these two great men, Abram and Melchizedek. And that becomes a foundation a thousand years later for David to reference Melchizedek in reference to messianic prophecy. 
And then a thousand years after that, for the writer of Hebrews to reference Melchizedek, when helping us to better understand, he who is the ultimate prophet, the ultimate priest, the ultimate king, Jesus Christ our Lord. And of course, that is number five, namely that Melchizedek, in a very specific way, fits in foreshadowing the Lord Jesus Christ as capital P prophet, capital P priest, and capital K king. All the promises and prophecies come together in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now back to our text in Genesis 14, uh, at verse 16, Abram's relative, Lot, uh, called a brother in, uh, in Genesis 14, uh, the Hebrew word gives us indication of a close relative, uh, not necessarily a brother, but we don't know. Abram's relative Lot had been caught up in a struggle with those five regional warring kings. And at the time in which we begin reading here in Genesis 14, uh, uh, a Lot is being held as a POW. He's being held as a prisoner of war. Abraham, at this point only named Abram, became Lot's rescuer, as recorded in verse 16. And Abram also brought back, says verse 16, Lot's possessions and Lot's entire family. Uh, two kings come out to meet Abram after his phenomenal victory. One is the king of the world, and the other one is the king of God. One represents worldliness, and the other represents godliness. And you and I, in this particular text, on a practical level, we get to see how the man of God, Abram, responds to uh, the offers of blessing and favor coming to him from the world and the offer of blessing and favor coming to him from God. And it's pretty simple. Abraham rejects the favor and blessing that is offered him from the world, and Abraham receives the blessing that is offered him from God through Melchizedek. But nonetheless, two kings come out to meet Abraham after his phenomenal victory. The first king of Sodom, very appreciative of Abram, and sought to reward his valor by allowing him to keep the spoils of victory. We read towards the end of Genesis 14, that, Lot, or that Sodom's offer was, the king of Sodom's offer was, uh, Abram, uh, give me back my people, you take all the stuff. Abram rightly refused the unrighteous king. And if you let your eyes once again fall on 22-23, uh, Abram says to the king of Sodom, I have lifted up mine eyes unto the Lord, that's Yahweh, the Most High God, El Elyon, exactly as characterized previously, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take a thread even to a shoe latchet, and that I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou shouldest say, I have made Abram rich. When a believer cooperates with the world around them to receive of the world's accolades and blessings, then the world owns that believer. And the world associates nothing uh, phenomenal with the testimony of that believer. For then when that believer talks about God, the world can say, yeah, God, my eye. 
It was me. I made that man all that he is. I'm the one that promoted him. I'm the one that made him rich. And so Abram, blesses his and heart, refuses uh, the king of Sodom as to his favor and blessing. But of course, the second king that came to Abram was Melchizedek, and Abraham wisely received from the good hand of that righteous king. Worldly stuff is all about the king of Sodom. That's all he had to offer. But the king of righteousness has something more to offer. And so here you see the offer of the named king of righteousness, the named king of peace, the king priest of Salem, Melchizedek. And in the offer that he makes to Abraham, there is a phenomenal foreshadowing of Jesus Christ our Lord. Consider then what happened when these two great men came together. We begin with Melchizedek's bread, verse 18. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine. And he was the priest of the Most High God, of El Elyon. Acting as the priest of El Elyon, the Most High God, Melchizedek brought to Abram bread and wine. Now the bread and wine that he brought uh, could be considered back in that particular day as a common favor to offer uh, simply under the umbrella of, uh, of good culture and uh, sociology. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, in the same verse that tells us what Melchizedek brought, we are told of his priest action, that what he brought is governed by his acting on behalf of Yahweh El Elyon as priest. So these are to be understood as priestly food items used in Scripture to convey fellowship between men and communion with God. Now, the king of Sodom had brought, had brought out uh, wine and bread, and maybe he had wine and bread there. I don't know. But had he brought it out just as a, an expression of uh, kindness or social uh, protocol, uh, Abraham then uh, could have taken of that wine and bread, and there wouldn't have been anything else more to it than the aspect of uh, just sharing together a, a common meal, a common uh, element of food substances, uh, that uh, men often shared one with another back in that day. But it's because of the fact that Melchizedek comes together with Abraham in this moment of time after victory in which the offer of bread and wine comes under the banner of priestly duty to Yahweh El Elyon that we can say that the sphere of fellowship and the communion on that day was a sphere of three parts. Abram, the man of promise, soon to be named Abraham, the father of nations. 
part one. Part two, the king priest Melchizedek. And the third person in the mix is Yahweh El Elyon, the Lord Most High, the possessor of heaven and earth, says verse 19. I'm sure that the thought has already crossed your mind, but the food that we eat under ordinance, the food that we eat as prescribed for us as believing priest of the Lord in the Lord's church are the same food items. The food items, bread and wine, under priestly umbrella of responsibility, convey two things. One, fellowship with men. Two, communion with God. And so Melchizedek brings out to Abraham bread and wine in this unique meeting of two great men coming together. And when the two men come together, they come together for the better, not for the worse. And isn't it strange that when Paul addresses the heirs in the Corinthian church, that he charges Corinth by saying, you come together at the Lord's table, not for the better, but for the worse. You're not made greater, you're not made better, you're not improved as a result of your fellowship with men before God, Paul said to the Corinthians, because of the way that you're going about this process. So there's just a lot of these little thread lines that start to pull together and come together when you think about that under the umbrella of priesthood, these very common items of bread and wine are brought forward in order to convey a unique moment in time in which there is fellowship among men and communion with God. And so we call the table that we will celebrate next Lord's Day morning, we call it the communion table, because our emphasis is upon the aspect of the relationship with God that is focused upon in that moment of our coming together. But we understand uh, a communion service in the exact terms of this meeting between Melchizedek and Abraham. They came together to share common food substances as a depiction of uh, the fellowship among men and communion with God. All together, men and God. All together, men and God. So Melchizedek's bread uh, was not just, uh, you know, uh, another loaf. It was a loaf that was prescribed under priestly responsibilities given him by God before Moses ever established the Aaronic priesthood. And that really makes it very, very unique. Uh, the only other sense of priesthood that we have in our minds as we think about the big picture of the Bible, is that it's clear that Adam and Eve, it's clear that the, that the, the, the son of uh, Adam and Eve named Seth, it's clear that Abel, uh, before Seth, it's clear that those of that lineage line of the sons of God coming out of Genesis, it's clear that each every, and every uh, individual man over a family operated in a priest-like way before there ever was a priesthood. They build altars. They sacrifice animals to God before God ever gave the rules for building altars or making sacrifice 
of animals before God under the law. And so we see that individual heads of homes operated. You see that, again, in an individual like Job, uh, as he builds an altar and sacrifices to the Lord uh, in the period of the patriarchs. And they did that long before God prescribed in the law uh, the Aaronic uh, priesthood. And so here you have this king priest. And he's just mentioned in Genesis 14, it's like he pops up out of nowhere. And just as soon as he pops up, he's mentioned two times in Genesis 14. That's it. Read 15, 16, 17, 18. Read all the way to chapter 50. Get into the next book, Genesis, Exodus, then Leviticus, then uh, Numbers, then Deuteronomy. No more Melchizedek. No more Melchizedek. No more mention of the guy. Then just wait. We just read of him right here. That's it. For a thousand years. And then David, the sweet singer of Israel, David talks about Melchizedek and the fact that one who is called the Lord is after the priesthood of Melchizedek, Psalm 110. And then not another mention of Melchizedek until you come to Genesis, I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 5, uh, verse 10, C, and then again 6.20, C, and then repeatedly chapter 7 and into chapter 8, for a total of 10 times, Melchizedek mentioned in the whole of Scripture. But here's the point, here's the point, under priestly duty, Bread and wine are brought forward as a symbol of fellowship among men and communion with God. And what is the basis of our fellowship together and our communion with God? Is it not the bread of his body and the cup of his blood? And so way, 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 way back in that former day, God was laying down hints, holy hints, relative to the coming of Christ, the giving of his body, the shedding of his blood as the basis of fellowship among men in communion with God. Just as Abram Melchizedek and God came together after Abraham won a great victory. Consider secondly then this morning Melchizedek's blessing, verses 19 and 20. And he blessed him, and he, Melchizedek, blessed Abram and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, Possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the most high God, which hath delivered thine enemies, Abram's enemies, into thy hand. It is unlikely that the mother of Melchizedek named him Mel at birth. The name Melchizedek is more along the lines of the title to which it is translated, namely, Melchizedek translates King of Righteousness. I do not believe that Melchizedek was a pre-incarnate manifestation of Jesus the Christ, 
but I know that Jesus Christ is Melchizedek, the ultimate king of righteousness. Now let me say it again. I don't really mean it to be confusing, but I said it in a way that could be easily confused. So let me say it again. I don't believe that Melchizedek is a pre-incarnate manifestation of Jesus the Christ. I don't think his mother gave him the name Melchizedek. He was called by God Melchizedek. Just like Jesus is called the Christ. And just like we are inclined to think Jesus Christ is first and last name, we are inclined to think that Melchizedek was this guy's personal name. And yet I'm saying to you that Melchizedek translates into king of righteousness. Just like Christ translates into the anointed one. Or if you will, Messiah. And when we say Jesus Christ, we're saying Jesus the Messiah. Jesus the anointed one. And when we're talking about Melchizedek, we're talking about a man that uh, I don't believe we have any indication whatsoever as to what his mother gave him by way of a name. But we do have his title, Melchizedek, which has to do with his being the king of righteousness. And again, as acting as God's priest, Melchizedek blesses Abram for his God, verse 19, and for the victory that God has won through Abraham. What's the difference between 19 and 20? What's the difference between 19 and 20? What's the difference between 19 and 20? What's the difference? Here's the difference. Verse 19, worship is directed according to God's person. Verse 20, God uh, worship is directed according to God's action. So we tell our kids in the children's class in the ed hour, we consider the attributes of God and we worship God for who he is and we worship God for what he's done. And so when Melchizedek stands to bless Abram, he first of all uh, brings Abraham's heart to lift up before God for who God is. Who is he that is worshipped here this Lord's Day morning? Well, it's the Lord God, the possessor of heaven and earth. We worship God for who he is. And we worship God for what he's done. Abraham was led by the Old Testament priest, Melchizedek to worship God for who he is and to worship God for what he had done. Just exactly along the pattern of that very same thing. I know Jesus Christ is the king of righteousness. I know that Jesus Christ is Melchizedek ultimately. The ultimate king of righteousness. Again, acting as God's priest, Melchizedek, in Abraham's day, blessed Abraham for who God is and for what God had done in regards to the victory that had been secured by the man Abraham in trusting God. Now, you and I can relate to all of that by taking on ourselves the common and familiar New Testament thought, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us. We worship God because of uh, who he is. He is the blessed one. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God for who he is.
And blessed be God for what he's done in my life and yours by redemption in Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Consider then thirdly, from Genesis 14, Melchizedek's bounty. Melchizedek's bounty. Again, verse 20. And blessed, blessed be the most high God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand, Abram. And he, Abram, gave him, Melchizedek, tithes of all. Uh, one of the things that's difficult in reading the English text is getting those pronouns straight. If you can get the pronouns straight, you're well on your way, uh, oftentimes, to having a, a good sense of the scripture. But sometimes there's such a laying up of pronouns, it's a little bit hard to follow. And I found that in reading uh, Genesis 14 in this account, it's a little bit hard to follow, although it's not impossible once you give your mind to it. But the last thing we're told in verse 20 is this, and he, Abram, the man of promise, the man of faith, gave him, Melchizedek, the king of righteousness, the king of peace, tithes of all. Abram gave to Melchizedek his tithe of all his goods in recognition of the fact that every good gift comes from above. That we've never given to God a thing that he did not first give to us. That anything we have to give we have first received from God's good hand. Abram, recognizing the priestly ministry of Melchizedek as a mediator between God and man, gave to Melchizedek a tithe, the tenth, of all the things that Abraham had acquired. Melchizedek was established before God to receive, on behalf of the Almighty, gifts in worship and praise. Let me say it again. Melchizedek was established before God in Abraham's day to receive, on behalf of the Almighty, gifts in worship and praise. And, if you want to know the future the king of righteousness, or the ultimate Melchizedek, is now established by God to receive on behalf of the Almighty the gifts of worship and praise. Now when we get beyond the study of the interlude in Hebrews 6, we will be brought back to the events recorded here in Genesis chapter 14, especially when we get to Hebrews chapter 7. So think of today as preparation for what's coming. But more than that, think of this phenomenal meeting between two great men of God recorded so that we can better appreciate the Lord Jesus Christ, our Melchizedek, the Jews, Messiah, 
the Savior of the world. In other words, Melchizedek is going to help us talk more intelligently about the Lord Jesus, the Christ. Father, thank you this morning for a quick but blessed study in thy word. Help us to be a responsive people to the things that we have heard today and to appropriate those things in honor and majesty for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for our Savior, your Son. Thank you for the endowment of thy Spirit. May we be under the Spirit's control this week as we walk, as we talk, as we engage in the ebb and flow of life. And bless this congregation this week, we pray, for you are the true God, possessor of heaven and earth. And, oh, Father, what you have done, what you have done for us, what you have done for us in Christ, it really cannot be accounted up in order. But we are thankful, we are grateful, and we praise you this morning, and we do so in the name of the Lord Jesus, and for his blessed sake, amen.